0: And thank you all for being here today on our 11th anniversary. As we've mentioned a couple times now, this is what we're celebrating today, 11 years together as a church. They said we never last, but here we are. I don't know if anybody actually said that. Uh, but here we are. We made it to 11 years. And when you look around at the other churches in our community, you might say, ah, what's 11 years? It's a drop in the bucket. You know, other churches around here have been, like, they've been at it for 100 plus years, almost 200 years. Like, what's going on? Well, 11 years is something to celebrate, and more importantly, to celebrate what God has done for us and what God has accomplished through His church over the course of 11 years is an important thing. Last week, we talked about the fact that uh, we human beings, this is my belief, and I I think you would agree, uh, we are not naturally inclined to be appreciative. Appreciation takes work. Now, when our church was one year old, two years old, three years old, I could look back and I could remember more of what God had done, but now that we're 11 years old, that takes more work to think back, well, what have we accomplished? What has God done through us? It takes some work to really go back and appreciate where we've come from and where we are. And so last week, I shared some stats with you about how we've grown as a church and how we went from four people to 120 people and how we've had 60 baptisms over the past 11 years. And that's really that's something that really excites me, Uh, 60 baptisms, well, 62 actually, 62 baptisms over the course of 11 years. That's something to celebrate, to thank God for what He's accomplished through this, His church. And I know that those stats, we're not breaking any records, come on. We're not breaking records. We're not some megachurch. But if you look around in this community, we're not a magnet church. We're not a megachurch. We're a local community church. And God has been at work through this, his congregation, growing in numbers, growing in baptisms. As Brett and the band were playing that second song today, as they were playing How Great Is Our God, and he's up there shredding on that solo at the end, I'm thinking, wow, Back in the olden days, our first year together, so many Sundays was a CD player and one guy singing. Do you remember that? Just, you know, a little tiny, on the stage, a Bose CD player and a dude and a microphone. How about that, yeah? And by the way, I loved that too, right? I'm very low maintenance when it comes to music in church. I love that too. But this, oh, this is something else. How about that? What God has done for us. I thought of this a couple weeks ago. I thought, you know, As a church, 11 years old, I wonder how much we've given away. I wonder how much we as a church have given away. How much money specifically, how much money have we given away? Because that's been a focus for us through the years. We know the reputations that churches have. We're collectors and, oh, churches are just after your money. We know that. So we've had to fight against that reputation. And so we really have this policy of, of giving away to people who are in need. And So I reached out to our treasurer. My close personal friend, Josh Peterkin, who's an actual real close personal friend. And I said, do you have any idea? Could you give me a rough estimate? And instead of a rough estimate, I got a very detailed spreadsheet. Yes, of course. If you know Josh, that makes sense. Yeah. And so let me just rattle off some stuff. And again, we're trying to trigger this sense of appreciation in us. Over the years, over 11 years, we have given out $477.89 to service projects. We have given away $2,250 to the Overdose Awareness Walk. We have spent $5,065.37 on hope giveaways. Uh, we have a tradition here as a church, we always give away our Christmas Eve offering. We've given away $11,600. Uh, we have a, uh, it was called the Community um, Support Fund for, during the pandemic, it was called the Pandemic Relief Fund. It's the same thing. Uh, That's support for the community. We've given away $17,084.59 to people in our own community who are in need. Thank you. Our Easter offering, we give that away, too. We've given away $29,650 for our Easter offering. Missions that we support, we support missionaries. Kenya's a big one, but we also support other missionaries local and around the world. We've given away $73,411.51. And all that adds up to a grand total of... Now, I think it would be appropriate to give God a round of applause when I give you this number, okay? It all adds up to a grand total of... $139,546.36. $139,546.36. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And again, you look at the stats and you can play with the comparison game and say, well, there are other churches that I give away so much more. But again, we're a, look around. This is a small church. We're a local community church. And we hope and pray that over the next 11 years, over the next 11 years plus, that we will continue to have this spirit of giving away to those who are in need and not hoarding up and storing for, for ourselves. Last week, I attempted to focus our attention on a, a very important fact that's so easily forgotten, this fact that, that our church and every church in this movement that we call church, the church belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus, and so Hope Community Church, we could say, well, this is our church, and sure, it's our church and that we're members of it, but this church belongs to Jesus. He has given it to us to be stewards over, and so because it doesn't belong to us, we can't just do whatever we want with it, right? If this belonged to us, we could do whatever we want. We could have whatever programs we want, whatever ministries we want, whatever events we want. We could host that freestyle bat- rap battle that I really want to do. We could do all those things, right? But it's not ours. It belongs to Jesus, and this is a critical, again, I, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not trying to you know, assess what other people are doing. But this is a critical error that so many churches make, so many Christians group make. We take our church and we make it about us and what we want to do. We take the wheel out of Jesus' hands and say, this is ours now. No, this isn't ours. Jesus, take the wheel, right? Didn't Carrie Underwood say that? Who said it? Is that her? Right? <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. It's yours. It belongs It belongs to Jesus, and I need to tell you that this is a mistake, taking the church out of Jesus' hand. This is a mistake. You ready for this? This is a mistake that we, as a church, we will make. We will make it about us. We will give in to our self-centeredness unless we actively fight against it. This is a battle. This is a battle to remember that this belongs to Jesus, not to us. We have to fight against that self-centeredness that all human beings have. We have to fight back against that sense of entitlement. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, I've been around here for a long time. I've served in a lot of different ways, and I've given a whole lot of money, and this is mine now, so I get to have my way. No, you don't. That's not how this works. This belongs. This belongs to Jesus, and so ideally, we should never be thinking about what we want for our church. Ideally, we should be thinking about giving God what He wants for His church. What does God want? It's a question I asked last week. That's a question I've asked more times than I could count over the years. What does God want more than anything else? And if you take that question to Scripture, the answer is obvious. The thing that Jesus wants, the thing that God wants more than anything else, is to save the lost. And you could say that same answer, you could rephrase it in a number of different ways, but that is the number one thing that Jesus wants, is to save the The lost, and over the past 11 years, I've encountered some people who disagree when I say that. I mean, they genuinely disagree. They say, you know, if you look at the Bible, God wants a lot of things, and He wants them all equally. He wants to save the lost, and He wants to take care of the poor, and He wants to educate people in the Bible, and He wants more churches planted, and He wants all these things equally. And I say, no, there's one thing that rises to the surface above everything else. Jesus wants to save the lost. God wants to save the lost, and He has gone to great lengths to do that. And so, again, over the years, people have disagreed with me on that point. And if you disagree with me on that point, go to the Bible. Let's have a conversation. Try to make your case from Scripture. And what you'll realize is that you're wrong. <laughs> there is one thing that God wants more than anything else. It's to save the lost. Again, over the past 11 years, there are some people who have approached me after I've said this and said, Oh, this is what God wants more than anything else. And they've disagreed. But that disagreement is actually artificial. They just think They disagree. I've had people say to me, well, listen, Pastor, Jesus said to go into the world and make disciples. That's our mission, not saving the lost, but making disciples. And I say, well, I agree with you. We are called to make disciples. To what end? Right? For what purpose? To save the lost. And then the lost people become people who are no longer lost. They are saved. And then the saved people become people who are capable of then spreading the gospel to the lost. And so if you think, well, I disagree with you, pastor, we're really supposed to be making disciples. No, no, no. We're on the same page. We're just talking past each other a little bit, right? Yes. That's what we're supposed to do, engage in discipleship. That's how we do this thing of saving the lost, allowing God to do only what he can do. Almost every time, I preach this sermon, and by the way, I preach it a lot if you're newer here about how God wants to save the lost, and that's the most important thing to me. Every time I preach this sermon, I get the same kind of pushback or similar questions, and they're good questions. The question I get is: if all we're focused on as a church, if this is our focus, giving God what He wants, if that's all we're focused on, is all we do here evangelism, do we just take it to the streets, knock on the doors, say, Do you know Jesus as your Savior? give them the Gospels, tell them the four spiritual laws, go through Romans Road, go through some kind of prepackaged script, and just, just give people the Gospel. Is that all we're about here? Just every single day, every single Sunday you show up, it's just the Gospel and that's it. Every single small group or Bible study, it's just the Gospel is that and that's it. Is that what we do here? And the answer is, well, no. That's a good question. Is that all we do? But that's, that's, not, that's not it. If that's all that we did... If, that's all, if we just focused on what they call conversions, if that's all that we did, then this whole thing would die out in a generation. You think about the first church that we heard about in the book of Acts, that very first generation of believers. If all they did was try and get people saved, hey, did you say the sinner's prayer? Great, good, all right, I'm on my way. If that's all that they did, you'd have a bunch of saved people in that generation, and then that generation would die out, and so would the church, so would the movement. And so if you felt yourself wondering, well, if we're a church that's dedicated to the lost, does that mean that's all we do is evangelism? Well, well, no, that's the big thrust of what we do. That's the ultimate goal of what we do, but it's not all we do. So last week, I ended the message by asking you the question of how. How do we become a church that's dedicated to the lost? How do we become a church that's dedicated to giving God what He wants more than anything else? And the answer is so stinking simple. I mean, it's so simple that it might feel unsatisfying. How do we save the lost? How do we present the gospel? How do we do this thing? The answer is very, very simple. It's discipleship. Is that enough? Should we close in prayer? Does that make sense? Should I explain that a little bit? I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's through Discipleship. You see, there is this brilliance behind what Jesus told us to do: go into the world and make disciples. If He had said, "Make converts," will you make a convert, and that's it, and the whole thing dies out? But no, He says, "Make disciples." So, how do we do this? How do we engage in discipleship? You know, my um, my my major when I went to seminary was in church planning, By the way, did you guys know that? And uh, They had us read a whole bunch of books about church planning and the different models and the different methods, and there's a lot of wonderful wisdom in how to do this. But if I were ever going to write a book about church planning, um, it would be one page, and you'd open it up, and it would just say, see Acts chapter 2. That's it. Because the model that we've attempted to follow here is the model from Acts chapter 2, what we see the very first church doing. And so let's take a look at how to become a church that's all about discipleship. Let's take a look at how to become a church that's ultimately focused on this one goal, of giving the gospel to the lost. Take a look at this passage, if I could find, find it here. Acts chapter 2, and so what's just happened here is this is the very first church, and by the way, this very first church was thousands of people. Some people are like very anti-megachurch. Well, the very first church ever was a very big church, so just know that, right? thousands of people they're baptized they hear this message the holy spirit speaks through peter they hear the message of who jesus is and what he accomplished for them they hear the gospel they're pierced to the hearts they receive the gospel they're baptized and they become the very first church here's what they do as the very first church they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching there were 12 apostles it's the original 12 disciples minus judas Plus Paul gives us the twelve apostles and they devoted themselves, this is before Paul's time though. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship a very churchy word, but you know what that means? Spending time with each other. We have this common bond in the Holy Spirit. They're actually being present with one another. To fellowship and the breaking of bread, to sharing. Meals together, that meant, it still means something now, but it meant something more in that time to sit down with people who are different from you and share a meal together because you may come from different backgrounds, but we have this common bond in Jesus. Breaking of bread into prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There was a sense of real appreciation, I and mean, that's an understatement, a real sense of awe awe and wonder over what was happening. And there is kind of this, I don't know, kind of silly debate nowadays about, well, does the Holy Spirit still work miracles? Does the Holy Spirit still heal people? Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. But we see at this time there was this kind of like this kickstart of the church where all these miracles were happening. They were clustered, clustered together, and so they saw these miracles. They appreciated these miracles, and they were in awe of what God had done for them. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They took care of each other. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is while they were still allowed to meet together in the temple courts. Then they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and and enjoying the favor of all people. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing as a church church? to actually be thought well of by the surrounding community, to enjoy the favor of all people, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord, consequently, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So how do you become a church that's focused on discipleship, disciple-making, disciple-becoming? How, how do you do this? Well, we follow the Acts 2 model what we see in the Acts 2 model is that church did three things. And so I'm going to tell you how we become a church that's dedicated to giving God what he wants, to discipleship, to disciple-making, all working towards that goal of the salvation of the lost. Here's how we do it. We follow this Acts 2 model. There are three things that we need to do as a church, and there are three things that you need to do as an individual, all right? Three things we need to do as a church and three things you need to do as an individual. What do we need to do as a church? Number one, we need to provide large group opportunities. Number two, we need to provide small group opportunities. Number three, we need to provide service opportunities to serve other people large group opportunities. That's what they did back in the very first church. They gathered together as a church to be redirected by the apostles, redirected by the church leaders. Here's what we're supposed to be focused on, to be corrected, to be course corrected, yes, to be educated on what Jesus wants for us and for us, wants from us. They needed that large group time, and so do we. You know, we gather together on Sunday mornings And some Christians make the mistake of saying, well, all my Christianity is confined to that one hour on Sunday morning. That's a mistake. But there's another mistake. Sometimes we make the worship service too big, and sometimes we make it too small. This time that we're sharing together right now, it's not everything, but it's something. And it's an important something. And we need this large group gathering time. We need this. We need to do it. If they needed it, we need it. Now, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, you know I'm not just up here speaking like off the top of my head, although some people have accused me of that over the years. It looks like you're just kind of talking. No, like I, like I worked on this stuff, yeah. And so what I do, and I didn't come up with this, and a lot of other preachers do this, a lot of other pastors do this, what I do is every week what I'm asking God is, well, what do we need to hear from you? Right? Here's where we are as a church. Here's where we need to be. Here's the gap. We have all these gap issues. Jesus, what do we need to address right now? That's my job as overseer of this church is to figure out what what, what do we need addressed at this time do I always get that right yes 100% of the time I do get that right you're welcome no I don't always get it right but that's always the question that process of discernment God what do we how do we need to be course corrected right now that's what we have for you on Sunday mornings I'm saying God what do we need to hear from you let me write it down and then give it away that's what happens here Maybe you're coming from a church where you didn't experience that, where it was a different type of preaching or a different approach to being a church altogether. Well, that's what we do here. What, God, what do we need to fix? What do we need to work on? Where do we need to be encouraged? Where do we need to be challenged? And I take that, discern to the best of my ability, and always get it right, discern to the best of my ability, and then give it away. That's important for all of us. This isn't about walking into a space and listening to some guy talk at you. No. It's about walking into a space and saying, okay, what does God have for me today? We need that large group opportunities, small group opportunities. You know why we need small group opportunities? Because this is what happens right now. There's not a lot of interaction that happens. Every once in a while, we do an audience participation thing, but there's no asking questions, right? That doesn't happen here. There's no sharing of prayer requests. That doesn't happen here. We need small group opportunities so you can take your next step in becoming a disciple to have your questions answered, to share your prayer requests, to pray for other people, to get to know other people. Nobody is interacting with each other right now. You need an opportunity to do that. And so we as a church, this is our job. We have to provide a large group opportunity. We have to provide small group opportunities. And the third thing, as I said, is we need to provide service opportunities, because that's what it means to be the church. You have to be serving. You, what we see is a, a group of people taking care of each other and the needs around them. We have to be serving. That's essential. Large group opportunities, small group opportunities, service opportunities. There could be simple service opportunities. Very simple. Next time you're at the store, pick up some food, bring it in Sunday morning, drop it off here in this clear bin. Yeah? That's simple. Big old service opportunities. Jump on a plane for a day and go to Kenya. And help the people there. Give them clean water. And all sorts of things in between. Go over to the 4th of July event in Prospect Park and flip hot dogs on a grill. Ho! That's fun, yeah. Service opportunities. Meeting the needs that we're able to meet. You don't have to go looking far to find needs that need to be met. Just look in front of you, okay? Here's a need that needs to be met. Here's a need that I can meet. Service opportunities. And so it's our job collectively as a church. We have to provide you with service opportunities. And I love the things that we do as a church. I love this. Giving food to people in need our own community, I love this. Sending people to Kenya, going over to Kenya. So many of us have been to Kenya, and we know what that's like. And what a life-changing experience that could be for the missionary and for the people who receive him. I love that we do that. I love that we're over at the 4th of July event. Just hands-on, grassroots, helping people out. I love all these things that we do, but you know what I love even more? These personal service things that you take on as families and as individuals. A couple of weeks ago, we did not meet in this space. We had our Be the Church Sunday, and some of you shared your experiences with me. You shared your stories with me, and there was one story in particular. Somebody in our church, and what they did for Be the Church, they didn't do some big project. It wasn't a big investment of money. What they did for Be the Church is they just went out, and they took somebody out, somebody in their own community, a gentleman who is known in the community, a gentleman who is disabled. They took him out. They took him to the park, and they spent time with him. Ha, <laughs> ha, is there a more precious gift that you can give somebody than your time? And he had a wonderful day. And, like, that's not something that's like, okay, this is officially church sanctioned, I want you to go out and find somebody and spend... No, it was just a wonderful personal thing. And so, yes, there are these church sanctioned service opportunities, but go and serve. Look for those needs. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to look for the needs. They're there. Just be aware of the needs that are there and serve, give, take care, And so those are the three things that we need to do. The three essentials, large group opportunities, small group opportunities, service opportunities. That's it. That's it. No, really, that's it. Those are the three essentials. And you might be thinking, well, don't we do more than that? Don't we do stuff that doesn't fall into those categories? Yes, we do. But if we're going to do something that's not one of those essentials, we better get a good ROI on whatever that thing is a good return on our investments to make sure it's something that's worth doing, that's going to produce some fruit, that has some kind of purpose to it, yes? And so there is this other category of things that we do that I would say is maybe not essential, but very, very helpful in becoming the church that we are destined to become. I would call these community-building opportunities, yes? That word community, it's built into our name, hope community church. There are two different ways to think about community. Community as in family, right? That inward sense of community. We're a family. We're a team, yes? The other way to think about community is geography, the people that we live around, our neighbors. And we're called Hope Community Church, and that word community, we mean both of those things. (laughs) We want to be a community of churches and a community of people, family that take care of each other, but also a community of people that are invested in our geography. And so we have these community building opportunities Those community-building opportunities fit into one of two categories, kind of in-reach or outreach, right? Or you could call them in-house or out-house, right? I prefer that terminology because that's just fun, right? Stuff that focuses on building community in-house, right, in-reach, and then stuff that focuses outward, right? And so we should do some things like that. Again, not essential, but very helpful. Community-building opportunities. Things like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we should have an anniversary party once a year to celebrate our anniversary. Give people an opportunity, you know, that in-reach thing, people an opportunity to get to know each other. You see somebody on Sunday morning, you've never seen them in a small group, we'll say hi, hey, there you go. So we do have that, and that makes sense, and that's worth doing, and that's a -a once-a-year thing, and we're doing it later today. And you should come out to that, by the way, right? That's a wonderful in-reach, community-building opportunity. How about just before Christmas time? We decorate the sanctuary. It's another in reach opportunity. We're not advertising that. It's like, hey, come on out and help us decorate our church. What are we talking about? No, it's an in reach thing, but it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun. What we've done this three years? Is it three? Yeah, it's a wonderful. It's, sim- it, it, it's simple, right? Not a big plan. Oh, here's all the. This is from six to. No, it's just we come out, and you just are with each other. <laughs> You're just present with each other, and there's conversations that happen, and you get to know each other. There's inreach type thing. Then there's the outreach type things that we do. Now, we have a wonderful opportunity where we're located right here. There are events that the borough puts on, and we're right here for them, right? Events that it's like, if we don't participate on this, we're missing a huge opportunity. This is a great return on our investment. It's happening right here. Like, the fall festival happens right here. I mean, literally, the fancy old cars are parked in front of this building on Sunday morning. And there's vendors, and there's food, and there's all this stuff. If we didn't connect with that, we'd be missing an opportunity. And so we do that. We set up, we did this last year. This was great. I hope we continue to do this every year. Just set up tables and chairs. People are buying food from the food trucks. Give them a place to sit. Give them some bathrooms to use. How simple is that? What's the sermon called? It's called Simple Church. We're trying to do this simply, right? We've got the Trunk or Treat event, which I love, Good time. It's happening. We coordinate. We got this right this year. We coordinated with the borough event. There's a borough event that takes place just across the street. Kids in costumes, well, let's give them something to do while they're here. So we do our own trunk or treat while they're here. Perfect. Simple. We're not trying to come up with something. It doesn't, it's not an investment of tens of thousands of dollars and all these volunteers and all these man hours. No, it's simple. Simple. Same with the Easter event that we do. Coordinate that with what's going on in the borough. Like these are wonderful, simple. Outreach opportunities. And so we have these again, community-building opportunities. Maybe we wouldn't categorize these as absolutely essential, but they're very, very helpful. It's how we get to build, build community. We are a community church. And so go back to these three things that we absolutely must do as a church. We absolutely must provide large group opportunities, we must provide small group opportunities, we must provide service opportunities. And then there's three things that you, as a member of this church, three things that you as the individual Need to do number one. You ready? Show up. <laughs> show up. Show up at these things that we do, right? We put on this large group thing. We do small groups. We do these. You know, like show up to the things that we're doing. These are opportunities we're making available to you. So show up. There's this old saying, "Showing up is half the battle." Do you know that saying? That's not true anymore. Post pandemic, showing up is like 98.2% of the battle, right? Just show up. Well, I got this. What are you doing with these excuses, man? I'll tell you what. Once upon a time, when we first started this church and people would give me their excuses for for why they weren't showing up at things, I was more polite back in the day, yeah? Right? And I was younger and people said, well, I'm going to talk to this guy and he's just going to smile and nod and he'll be polite when I give him this excuse. Listen, I'm not young anymore. I'm old, right? (laughs) I've been around. And people give me these excuses. I'm like, what? You're doing what instead? Oh, I can't come to the anniversary party. Sunday night's when I do most of my sinning. Well, come here instead, all right? <laughs> Goodness gracious, the excuses. Give me a break with this. Show up. Show up. We do this large group event. We do it 52 times a year. 52 times a year. Show up. To all 52 of them? Well, no, I mean, I'm not here all 52 of them. But show up. Show up to the things that we're doing. So what do you need to do as an individual? You need to show up. Number two, man, I really struggle with this one. How do I phrase this? Number two, <clears throat> do the stuff. All right? If you're writing this down, you're like, what is this supposed to mean? Do the stuff. At the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, so Jesus gives this teaching time. And it's so practical if you've never read the Sermon on the Mountain. Matthew 5 six, and seven. You can read it before the anniversary party today. Such practical teaching. How we relate with God. How we interact with one another. How we should treat one another. Such wonderful practical teaching. In fact, we're told in Matthew that the people are just in awe of what Jesus has said and the authority in which he speaks. But it's so simple. It's so basic. How we interact with one another? And Jesus ends this wonderful teaching time by saying, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if... You do them. The blessing from God, the blessing from Jesus isn't in the knowing. It's in the doing. So do the things that you've been taught to do. Let me put it that way, right? A few weeks ago, we did a sermon series on the Bible and unpacked how to read the Bible and what the Bible is and why it's so important to read the Bible. It's like, okay, I've made a case for it. You agree with it. Now all you have to do is do it. Just do it. I just made that up. Just do it. That's our new logo. Just do it. Yeah? Isn't that how it works with us human beings? We do, so often, we don't need more information. We just need to do what we've already been taught to do, right? Around this time of year, hey, it's beach season, right? You gotta get my beach body on and I gotta do it quick, right? You know, I'm running out of time here. How do I do this? This fad diet, that fad diet. We don't need any more information. You just need to expend more calories than you're consuming. Hmm, there you go. There's my fad diet, right? You don't need any more information. How do I bulk up? You already know how to bulk up. You just need to do it, right? Do the stuff. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This past school year, we spent a lot of time focused on how we need to heal as a community, how we need to heal as a church. We talked about relationships and how precious they are in this ministry of reconciliation. We talked about how we need to reach out to people and make sure we're doing everything we can, having no regrets and and mending fences and repairing relationships. And so many of you agreed with all that stuff. So let's actually do it. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We talked about being unoffendable. You guys, any of you remember the unoffendable series? Yes. And what a battle that is when we hear these perspectives from people who have a radically different worldview and how angry we can get. Well, we've been taught... Not to be offended by that, not to be surprised when people act like people. So let's let's actually do the stuff, right? Do the stuff. So what do you need to do as an individual? You need to show up, you need to do the stuff. And part three, thing three, that you need to do, you need to invite the lost. Invite the lost. That term lost, I don't mean that in a negative way. There's no negative connotation there. This is the terminology that Jesus used. The people who don't yet know Jesus as Savior. The people in your community. The people that you work with. Invite them to meet Jesus. Maybe that means you invite them to this large group space. Maybe that's what that means. I mean, that's one of the easiest things that you can do. You know, so many of us Christians, we feel burdened by this task of evangelism. How am I supposed to share the gospel, and how am I supposed to do this? Guess what? You're not supposed to do it on your own. Oh, that's not on you. You get to share that burden with your church family. So invite the lost. We're here for them. You need to invite them, which brings me back to point number one of showing up. You can't invite them if you're not here. Woo. I mean, some people have tried over the years. Hey, Hope Community Church is a great church. I'm not going, but you should. That's happened. That's real. What? So you need to show up. You need to do the stuff that you know you should be doing. And you need to invite. Don't answer me out loud. When's the last time you invited someone to worship? Last time you invited a lost person? And over the years, I've been very specific about this because you know, you know so many people in your life right now who don't know Jesus as their Savior. You know so many people. You could sit down and write a list, and it would be a mile long. All right, focus on the people you love the most. Focus on the people you love, your lost loved ones. Invite them. Some of you, you don't need to look outside of your house, under your own roof. Look there. Like, ooh, this is who I should be inviting to get to know Jesus. And please don't be mistaken. It's not like, oh, just invite someone to worship. It's more than that. It's inviting someone to meet Jesus. Because this work of evangelism, you have a part to play as an individual, but that burden is not solely on your shoulders. You get to share that burden with the people around you, with your church family. And so what do we need to do? We need to provide large group opportunities. We need to provide small group opportunities. We need to provide service opportunities. What do you need to do? You need to show up. You need to do the stuff. You need to invite the lost. Looking back over our history, 11 years old, and again, we're being realistic. We're not breaking any records here, but we have grown as a church. And I have had leaders of other churches and pastors of other churches look at what we're doing and say, how? How in Delaware County, how where other churches are closing down and no one showing up to anything, how have you been able to grow? And I'll tell you exactly how. By following the Acts 2 model, Providing large group opportunities, small group opportunities, service opportunities. Just doing what they did. It worked back then. It's working now. And so what do we need to do, right? Looking forward, what do we need to do if we're going to continue to reach the lost? Present them with multiple opportunities to hear the gospel, to see the gospel. What can we do? What are we going to do in the next 11 years? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to stay the course. (laughs) We're just going to keep doing what's worked in the past. But we're going to do it better. We're going to do it better. You know, I talked about some community building things that we can do, and there are all sorts of wonderful ideas, and I know you have wonderful ideas for more things that we could do as a church. That's great. But we need to make sure we've got the three essentials. Let's get them right before we start building anything else. In a couple of weeks... I have a big announcement for you. We're planning something for next school year. I know you don't want to think about next school year. You're enjoying summer vacation, right? But we're planning something big for next school year. We're planning a wonderful opportunity for you to engage in your own discipleship while actively participating in the discipleship of others. We're planning a wonderful opportunity for you to invite your lost loved ones, your lost neighbors, the people in your, in your life that don't know Jesus yet to get to know Jesus, and so I'll make that announcement in a couple of weeks. But the important thing is just this. We just need to keep doing what we're doing. Right? If you're somebody it's like, you know, I do the large group thing, but I don't do it often enough, we'll, we'll make it. You decide. How many of these am I going to do next year, right? There's 52 opportunities. How many are you willing to miss? Maybe you're somebody who's never done a small group, and you've heard about small groups, and you agree in theory, but you're like, eh, it's kind of weird. i got to get to know people. Just do it. Just do it. Right? That phrase that I made up just now, just do it. Do the things you know you're supposed to do, and maybe you have these service opportunities, and maybe you've like, maybe you're one of those people who put like the fence up, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, I'll serve this far, but no further. I'll give this much, but no more. Well, what's Jesus calling you to do? What's He calling you to give? How is He calling you to serve? To hold nothing back. So as we move forward, we're going to do what we've already done, but we need to do it better. We don't need to do more things. We just need to do what we already have done to do it it better. That's what our future looks like. And so I believe that we will continue to grow as a church. We will continue to have more baptisms, but we need to be invested. And we need to do this work of intentionally reminding ourselves that this isn't ours. It belongs to Jesus. This isn't ours. It belongs to God. So let's give God what he wants. Let's continue to follow the Acts 2 model. Let's meet together in large groups. The next time we gather, let's turn up our intentionality and listening. What does God have for me here? Let's meet together in small groups. But let's not hold back. Let's actually go ahead. Next time you're at your small group, open up, share. And let's continue to serve without holding back. No, freely serving and giving to those who are in need. And I believe if we continue to follow the Acts 2 model, if we continue to follow the model presented to us in God's Word, then we will continue to grow in this community. Let's pray on that. Jesus, remind us of the goal. Remind us of what it looks like to win. In this community, in the Ridley Interboro area, there are 60,000 people. Once all 60,000 people have had multiple opportunities to experience the gospel, that's the win. Our goal is not to fill up this place with people. Our goal is to save the lost. Jesus, only you can save the lost, but you have made us, you have ordained us to be your vessel, the vessel of the gospel, the communicators of the gospel. Father, we thank you for the past 11 years, and we pray your blessing over the next 11 and beyond. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.